You're listening to the podcast of Dr. Chip Bennett. Please consider subscribing wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And every culture, every time, um, every season has literary conventions that people know at that time. Best way I can explain it is this. If you go back to the 50s and you were to listen to the certain types of music that are being played, um, everybody's sort of playing within that arena. There may be an anomaly, but everybody's sort of grooving to a certain type of deal. The 80s, we, if you lived through the 80s, you know that there was glam or hair metal, and all the bands were doing all the same thing, same riffs, same hairs, all that stuff. You know, then Nirvana came along and played grunge, and then everybody went to grunge. But th- those, are, those are musical conventions. Okay, literary conventions are the same thing. It's just music, moving from music to literature. And in the first century, and, and far before that, um, th- there were ways in which people would write. They had a way that they would write. And typically, the way that that worked um, in the first century, and, and, and hundreds of years before the first century, is that they had a start and they had an end. And typically, there was what we would call a center of the literary work. Now, oftentimes, they might not have a literary center, but they would definitely have a starting and an ending. Typically, though, you would go up the mountain, if this makes sense. And as you were going up the mountain, what you would find is as you were going down the mountain, you would find some sort of corollary from the beginning to the end that matched up. And at the start, you may have names that are used. You may have places. You may have things. Um, All of those things are not there by accident because in the end, you might have names, places, and things. They may not be the same names. In other words, you might start here with uh, with Bill and end with Bill, but the Bill here is not the Bill there, but the Bill is important because it helps you to remember the story. And so this is the way the ancients would write. So when we go to the Bible, we, we, we need to see that part of our hermeneutic, part of reading Scripture is realizing that stuff is not just haphazardly placed throughout these books. There is very, very, very um, uh, intentional um, and intentioned writing going on. They they know their start, they know their end, they know their center, um, and, and, and it's super important that we, as we go to Scripture, understand how to read a book. This is uh, one of the things that I, you know, have constantly tried to say in, in teaching scripture is we need to learn how to read because because you know we have an idea of how to read but we need to learn to read with the original understanding of the of the people that have written these books for you and me so let me, let me give you some examples here hopefully this will help and and uh, you'll go wow okay this is a whole new way to see how to read scripture and um, it will it will it won't it's not going to change that Jesus rose from the dead it's not going to change that that he died on the cross for our sins. Those things are, are, are just, they're, that's part of Christianity. What it will do, though, it will provide a depth to the way that you read Scripture, and Scripture, I think, will become more meaningful, and um, it will also become something that you're, you're engaged in. Rather than just reading it maybe for some propositional truths or just to have some Bible bullets, you'll start to realize, man, this is immersive. This is, this is something that really brings me in, and it reads me, it makes me think, 
that there's more to Scripture than just reading it. So let's let's take the Gospel of Luke and and look a little bit about how Luke starts and ends. And uh, um, I think this will be, hopefully, it will be something that's beneficial to you. So in Luke chapter one and in Luke twenty four, these are the beginning and the endings of of Luke. It's not by accident that we see here in in verse five that that we have a man named Zechariah. And what is Zechariah doing? He is praying in the temple, okay? This is important. Um, prayer in the temple is, is important to Jewish people. Um, it also becomes a, a biblical motif um, in Paul. And of course, Luke traveled with Paul. Um, Paul's gonna tell you in 1 Corinthians that the temple of God now are you and me. And, and we're stones that together collectively are the, are the temple. Um, so temple understanding is, is super important. But for Luke, Zechariah is praying in the temple. When we come to Luke 24, at the at the very end of Luke's gospel, and it would be the very last um, verse of of the of the gospel. It's verse 53. What do we have? We have the disciples praying in the temple. Now you may say, well, that's that's great, okay, but that's literary convention. Like this is this is going on in literary convention. Like this is this is not by accident. It didn't just happen to be the case. Luke knew what he was doing. Let me let me further elaborate on how we can see how Luke is using literary conventions and how this this works throughout all of all of the Bible books um, to, to a large degree. They know where they're starting. They know where they're ending. Um, even like a book of Jude, um, Jude, you know, which is just like I mean, it's this short little deal, right? Um, Jude. Um, when you go to Jude, let me flip here. Um, Jude, Jude talks about that. Um, that we need to um, keep our, he says, he says in, in verse one, he says that we are kept for Jesus Christ. Okay, that's, that's great. We're kept for Jesus Christ. Okay, but at the very end of his book, he says, now him who's able to keep you from stumbling. This, you're kept and you're being, you're being kept. That's not coincidental. It's not just haphazard. That, that those words are there. I mean, even in a small little treatise like Jude, you, you know, um, you, you see it um, in, in, in Romans. Um, Paul says in Romans, he says that he's, in, in verse five of chapter one, he says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. Okay, that's great. That, that that's there. Obedience of faith to all the nations. Okay, is it surprising or should it be surprising that when we go to the end of chapter 16, is it, is it just, just happenstance? Is it just, it just happened to be there that at the very end um, of chapter 16 in verse 26 that we're bringing about the obedience of faith? No, the, the, the obedience of faith is at the beginning, it's at the end. Why is it there? Like, why, what are they doing? Well, they're writing in a geographical way. They know their start, they know their beginning. And so let's look at Luke again and, and see. So in chapter two, we all know the story. We, we know that there's the Virgin Mary. We know that there's Joseph. This is in chapter two. We, we know that there is, um, there's shepherds that are, that are given a sign right? And it's the linen cloth, a baby lying in a manger. 
um, wrapped in linen cloth. We, we have these, these uh, things in chapter 2. Well, we're going to come to chapter 23 in just a minute, and we're going to see, is there tie-in here? Is there stuff going on that, once again, we can see the geography of a biblical book and how they're writing with these literary conventions. And again, this is, you know, people say, can you go more in-depth? Help me to understand. Help me to read the Bible, Chip. This is what I'm trying to do. And again, there's many other things that we got to talk about. I mean, there's background, culture, syntax. I mean, all those things are important, but understanding how to just read the book is so important. And, you know, not everybody's going to be able to study all the backgrounds and cultures and all of that stuff. But if we just learn to read a book, we're going to be a lot further ahead, especially when it comes to reading Scripture. So we have the Virgin Mary, we have Joseph, we have a sign to the shepherds that there will be a baby wrapped in linen cloth lying in a manger. Now, this is all pregnant with theology. Um, we don't have time to get into all of it, but a manger in the first century, you see a picture here of a manger. Uh, it, a picture was a limestone-hewn um, feeding trough. That's, that's what it was. You know, it was cut out of limestone, and it was used to feed the animals. That's just what, what it was. So even Jesus lying in a manger, th th think of the visual here. He's wrapped in a linen cloth. He looks like a mummy. He's lying in a rock-hewn, limestone manger feeding trough. He looks dead, but he's alive. It actually, the, the visual, if you're looking at it just in your mind, is a mummy lying in a um, manger looks like a, a dead baby in a sarcophagus is what it really, it's sort of in, in the envisioning here. Is, and that's, that's pregnant with meaning, that they're going to come and see a baby that looks dead, but that's alive. They're also going to see a baby that's laid in a feeding trough because Jesus will ultimately be, um, we feed upon the body and the blood of Jesus um, at the Eucharist and at the Lord's table. Um, you know, all of that stuff, it's just not throwaway stuff, folks. I mean, these, these words, the, the choices of what the writers um, put in these texts are super pregnant. But for our study here, we want to see that there's a Mary, a Joseph, and there's a linen cloth and a manger, and Mary's a virgin, and we, this, is, this is what's going on in chapter 2. Well, when we come to chapter 23, and this should not surprise us, if we know how to read a book, if we know the literary conventions of the day, this should not be a surprise at all. So, what we have here is now in chapter 23, we are told that there is a Joseph of Arimathea. Not the same Joseph. These are not the same people. Does it matter? The names are important because once again, start and end. These are bookends. And, and, and understanding how to work from the beginning to the ending helps us to understand how to read this book because typically we're going up a story and coming down to a story so that we understand how, how all of this, this works. Also, there's Mary there with, with the women, okay? So we have another Mary at the tomb. What else do we have? Well, we're told here. We're told that he went to um, Pilate to ask for the body. And what did he do? He took the body down. He wrapped it in linen cloth. Is that important? Of course it is. So now the body of Jesus that was wrapped in linen cloth and laid in a manger, now the linen cloth is being wrapped around the dead body of Jesus coming down off the cross, and where's it placed? Well, he says he laid him in a tomb cut in stone. What does it say? It says where no one had ever, no man had ever lain. That, that's huge. If no man has ever lain with somebody, what does that mean? It's virginal. So we have 
a virgin tomb. That, that, that Jesus, who is wrapped in cloth, who looks dead, but yet will be alive, will come forth on resurrection day out of a virginal tomb alive. That is not coincidence. That's not just, you know, you're shoehorning something in here. You're, you're making something up that's not there. No, this is the way that they wrote. And wh- where we have the hard time going, well, I don't see that. How, 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 how are you getting that? It's because we're reading these books through our lens of reading books. We're not reading these books through the lens of the way they wrote in the first century. They had literary conventions that we have to understand. And again, it's not going to get you saved. It's not going to make you um, a better Christian, so to speak, but it's going to help you to understand. It's going to help us to understand how to better read the Bible. 